Welcome to the If We Knew Then podcast. I'm Stephen Sox. And I'm Lori Sox. And today we're joined by Michael Sanford. Michael is a Hollywood casting director. And a member of the Inclusion and Diversity Committee. We met Michael when he helped cast Liam in the Lena Dunham movie, Sharp Stick. You'll hear us reference the movie a couple of times, but at the time of this conversation, we weren't allowed to talk about it. But because of our experience with him and his knowledge about the industry and specifically diversity and inclusion in the industry, we knew he was someone that we wanted to have on the show. This is such an exciting conversation because inclusion is important. And on a personal note, we encounter inclusion when it comes to our child's education and also his place in society. This is a conversation about the importance of media, the perceptions that are created, the stereotypes that can be broken. And the influence when there is inclusion in media. We're so thrilled to share our conversation with this delightful human being who is out there on our side, changing the world to make it a more inclusive place. Welcome, Michael Sanford. Michael, it's so good to have you on the podcast. It's great to be here. Thank you. I'm honored. So for our listeners, tell us a little bit about yourself. I am a New Yorker originally. I live in Los Angeles now. I came out here for summer in 1987 and never left. <laughs> and, um, it's been a hell of a summer. It's been a long summer. <laughs> but uh, I work in casting. I'm a casting director. I came out here to be an actor. I started out as an actor, uh, like many casting directors, actually, and um, started working behind the scenes. Um, well, I was bartending and waiting tables back then, and uh, I met a casting director who, who would come up to my restaurant, and she and her boyfriend would sit and have conversations with me, and then I went to, she asked me to intern with her. She, she was casting a lot of commercials, and I just really started gravitating to that process. I, was, I found myself really fascinated to see who was going to get the role and the process of narrowing it down and, you know, watching actors from behind the scenes and was more interested in going to her auditions or her callback sessions than my auditions as an actor. So it was a natural transition for me. Then I became a freelance associate, maybe 20 different uh, casting directors, most of them commercials. I started because she was busy in commercials. It, it wasn't until 10 years after I opened that we started segueing to films and other mediums. But then, you know, working for so many different people, it just came to a point where it was time for me to go out on my own. So I opened in 2000, and, and I'm very grateful to still be here. And back in 2010, 11, we started segueing into features, which also got me very involved in the CSA. And that's how I got involved with the, uh, back then it was the diversity committee. Uh, so I'm currently uh, still casting, and I, I really like what I do. Can you tell us what the CSA is? 
Oh, yes. The CSA is the Casting Society of America. It's a guild. You see CSA after casting directors' names uh, when you're watching film or television. It's really an organization of, of all the uh, casting directors. And, and recently, commercial casting directors are a part of it, too. So that's been really good because, um, but they, we, they represent people in film, television, theater, reality, television, and now commercials. And it's just really a support group for each other and ways to establish precedence in casting. And, and on, in the, within the CSA, when you first become a member, which I did, you have to join a committee. So my, the committee I chose to join was the diversity committee. I'm also in the CCDA, which is the Commercial Casting Director Association, which is very similar. But I would say about 60% of what we still cast are commercials, and then the other 40% would be independent film and uh, shorts. And, you know, we're starting to get into television a little bit, which is nice, too. So that's what I do. It's funny because you talk, you just made a little side note about inclusion. And that's one of the things that we address because as far as what inclusion means in our life. Uh, we're working towards having an inclusive environment and upholding idea. Those people who went and fought for getting that I- inclusion to be included in a classroom for our son to be educated. But if you look around, I- inclusion affects us all in every different avenue of our life. And that's something that we always, whenever we go into an IEP or when we're talking about education, is that we try to remind people that inclusion is not just for these kids who have IEPs. Inclusion is inclusion is the opposite of segregation. And segregation is at the heart of so much uh, trauma in, in our society. You know, so you, reaching out to you when you were talking about this inclusion and diversity committee, I think it's so important to have the conversation about how inclusion affects us all. And what it means not not to have inclusion on any level. So could you tell us a little bit about your part in the uh, Inclusion and Diversity Committee? Sure. Um, we actually restructured and uh, we're now the Equity and Entertainment Committee. And um, I'm going to read you our little mission statement. It'll sum it up better than I can. Oh, great. Okay. Equity and Entertainment, co-created in 2016 by Leah Daniels Butler, Russell Boast, and Michael Sanford as an extension to work done in this area by members and board members over many years. Equity and Entertainment is focused on amplifying underrepresented actors and empowering our members to authentically cast by engaging our members in the acting community alike. In training events and discussions, we continue to introduce and advocate for actors in theater, film, television, and now commercials. To date, we have held open call and training events for performers with disabilities, trans and non-binary actors, Native American, Indigenous actors, and Middle Eastern, North African, and South Asian actors, which is Manasa, and senior actors. Our commitment is We're dedicated to increasing access for actors who have been historically underrepresented in the entertainment industry. We want to expand perceptions to create a rich fabric of representation and storytelling across all media that more closely reflects the global society which we live in and develop strategies and practices to support, respect, and appreciate the differences of artists in all communities with a purpose to shift the perception and practice in audition rooms and on set. 
further the conversation to make concrete lasting change and to engage in informed discussions with creative and producing teams by introducing and advocating for qualified actors in all three, all of the mediums. When this started, it was the three of us. It was uh, Lee Daniels Butler, casting director, Russell Post, casting director. He's also our president, the president of the CSA. And I remember we met at Roma Coffee Shop. And now we have, I think there's 42 members. Um, we have, we all have a long way to go, but it really started, the performers with disabilities was the first initiative we worked on. And we have everything I just mentioned, Manasa, the PWD, also the Native American and Indigenous actors. We would have panels, you know, we would have town halls, and then we would have weekends where the performers would come in and audition when it was live or put themselves on tape. So it's really grown a lot. And I think with society and what's been going on, it's really bringing this to the forefront to really give authentic representation to these underrepresented groups. Well, it's a beautiful movement with inclusion writers in movies. I think of this movement that that's continued today. And the disability community, I know, wants to be a part of that. And that's uh, where I think this enlightenment in society can spread to all parts of inclusion. And you, you talk about many different inclusions in that statement. And we're right in that, involved in that. And we we appreciate it. We like this movement. What I thought was incredible is when I turned on Bridgerton, and what struck me immediately was the inclusion. I mean, it was beautiful. It was so beautiful. And it was just unapologetic. This is just how it is. Just, ev- just everybody. And, you know, that is what, what the world should, looks like. And I thought it was just such, it was such a lovely, it shouldn't be a surprise. It was a lovely, you know, one day it won't be a surprise when, when people do that. But I just, I, I just thought it was so beautiful. And I think it sets the groundwork for what our new, this is what our new baseline is now. This is, this is where we're, we're not going to go back anymore. We're going to, let's go move forward. And it represented that so well. What we have to do in media is represent society and represent the world. And I think years ago, it was like, even within different categories, there were, there were stereotypes. And I really feel it's come a long way with a lot of TV shows. I'm sure you guys saw uh, Crip Camp, the film, and that was pretty amazing. And um, how I got involved in working with performers with disabilities back even before we were equity and entertainment, when I was on the diverse inclusion and diversity committee, the Writers Guild of America West reached out to the CSA. They were casting a, a scene night. They do it. They do an annual scene night every year. I don't know if you guys know this. It's it's they call it the disability scene night, written by writers that are in the WGA uh, who have disabilities and focusing around those issues with, like we were just saying, just very normal, you know, like you're not taken back. You're just turning, you're watching them in love scenes and, you know, and in situations, you know, where it's just the norm. And we wound up casting that for the last six years. So that really opened my eyes to a lot. Like it really did. And I've gotten to know so many, you know, a whole new database of actors. And then once you start to understand and once you realize everyone has a need to be heard or express themselves, and it's, that was really what changed it for me. So even before any of these other 
um, events that we did. That was like my very first experience in it. And my partner, then Jillian became my, my partner. We have an office in Atlanta as of 2018 when she moved there. And she worked on this with me for all four years. And uh, it, it was so fulfilling, you know. Um, and it was one night, you know, it was one night with the, with the writers, with the actors and the directors. Peter Farrelly did a lot of uh, directing, but he's Gary Goldstein. It just really changed people's perceptions and it was really interesting to see that well there's that inclusion that is the including of a wide spectrum of people in society there's that and and that's almost the surface i see diving deeper like you said where that person in the wheelchair is just the manager at the starbucks isn't because they are has nothing to do with the wheelchair doesn't have anything to do with what makes us diverse it's just that we're all together the same humans the power of, of media and, and movies and, and television, all of it, is that a lot of times people can't believe it until they see it. So we have the power to allow them to see something new. Strangely, that allows others to accept it as the norm, because I think, dis- especially when you're looking at disability, there are definitely um, strongholds to perceptions of what a disability is, what they're what they're actual ability is. And I think this allows that to shatter and for people to go, oh yeah, of course, because it is usually one of those things where it's, have have I been upholding this belief and perception for so long when it's no longer an accurate thing? And it never really was accurate. It was just kind of a, a product of these boundaries that were once put on people with disabilities. And still do exist, you know, to some extent, but there's, you know, different, the differences are coming and the abilities are coming out. You know, it's interesting along those lines, just to go back to the WGA nights, we were only allowed maybe 19 performers to read multiple scenes, multiple roles. So 90% of the people we did cast were people were performers with disabilities. That was the whole point of this. But it was really interesting to maybe put someone in a wheelchair in a role of someone without a disability, while the woman he was acting opposite, maybe maybe she was on the spectrum, autism spectrum. And after a while, you don't see the wheelchair. You just don't, you know, you're just looking at the character. That's the whole perception. I remember Heidi Levitt, who's like the, one of my mentor casting directors. I cannot remember the play, but I think it was All My Sons or something, but where, they, where it's normally a white cast. And she cast it with different ethnicities and it was the most diverse production. And like when you when it first opened, it was very strange for a lot of people in the audience to see the black leads by the end of it, you, you know, and she had different ethnicities throughout. You're not watching their skin color, you're watching the characters. It's like how quickly in Hamilton. Hamilton. Yeah, Hamilton you Hamilton, just, yeah. I mean, he went in there and he just broke down lots of walls, which it shouldn't have to be called courage, but the courage to do that and to just say, I'm just going to change it. We're just going to stop right here. We're not going to pussyfoot around anything. We're just going to do it. Just that bold movement of why not? Why should it? Because the real question is, why should it be resisted? Yeah. And Michael brought up uh, Peter Fairley and the Fairley brothers have done that for years, uh, have people with disabilities in their films and it, it doesn't have anything to do with their disability. I think he's, I think his, someone in his family had it, if I remember right, growing up. Yeah. You know, there's something to be said when someone is personally affected that you experience the reality 
of the situation. And then you have the power through media to present that to other people. So it breaks the perceptions. And, and that's one of the great things really about, I would say, with media and social media is that that's one of the gifts. It, it influences society. I mean, for as much as some people debate that, it's influential. Oh, absolutely. Definitely. It leaves an imprint, I think, just even subliminally sometimes, which is so important because then it becomes ingrained that it is the norm. Not only inclusion and performers with disabilities, but just diversity in general. You know, I look at even on a commercial, let's say, years ago, no matter what your ethnicity was, there was a certain mold, whether you were black or white or Latin or uh, Asian or um, Middle Eastern. And now it's just anyone, any shape, any size, which is so wonderful. And, you know, just seeing a couple that's a same-sex couple or biracial couple, you know that affects a kid who has these feelings and maybe at home isn't getting the support that they can take hold of who they are and they can see it in media and, and know that they're not alone. We did a music video and uh, it was about people coming out and the audition was, and it was all self-tapes even before we were doing self-tapes regularly. They had to tell their experience of coming out and it was so powerful to hear and cathartic for many of them just crying through these experiences on video because some of them, their parents would just disown them or, you know, or it was just freeing for them just to be able to share it with people that were, we're going to portray it, you know, uh, in a video. So, yeah, everyone is, we're all different. We were what we are. We're all, we're all people. So uh, it shouldn't matter. It really shouldn't matter. That's the power of inclusion. It just addresses that this is who we are. And we all have that right to be who we are. And nobody needs to apologize for who they are. I always tell Sophia, I'm like, that's not your problem. You don't have to own that. That's, that's theirs. Mm -hmm. And the bullies don't get the last word. You know, and, and I, don't, I don't mean that everybody's a bully, but um, speaking to what we uh, encounter with Liam where we get a lot of, based on perception of disability or Down syndrome, we get a lot of hurdles that we have to climb over. And we speak to a lot of people who, I mean, it's kind of what drives us to put this information out there, is that we speak to people who things are said to them like, you shouldn't go to this school. Why did you leave where you were? And it stuns them. I mean, I had a parent ask me, is this right? Should I leave? And I was like, oh, no, you don't leave. What needs to leave is the archaic belief that what just came out of that person's mouth is acceptable. What would be better if that person could stay and change? I think that's important, too, what you just said, because that would be the hope. It's to change. Everyone deserves a second chance. Everyone's human and has flaws. And I really try to look at that in people. And um, especially with the climate we've had over the last couple of years, politically even, and, and just trying to understand other people, like just be empathetic to uh, someone else and without judging and making a decision and look at your fears around why you're telling someone to leave a school. You know, why is that? You know, what does it bring up for you? So, but I agree before like dismissing someone or canceling someone, try to re-educate. Because we're all learning. We're all yes. different than we were when we were taught some things that 
when we get older, we realize that's not appropriate. That's not how I feel anymore. That's how not how I, I didn't want even the world I, to be. Yeah, you're right. You may not even know that. But I, I think that it's so great that having the inclusion, starting with that, because people fought for it 50 years ago. Uh, they fought for it for, you know, my son to get an education in an inclusive classroom. And they've been fighting for inclusion on different levels, different groups for a long time. And now it's real. It is a subject. It is something that we see. And stories are being told that a lot of these stories people don't know or you might not even believe that it, it exists or that it still exists. So I think that that's what's such a, a great thing about just inclusion being a subject, inclusion being something that we talk about and is now becoming important to so many people and becoming an, an important thing in our society. Yeah. Well, what is the impact? And you, you we kind of touched on this a little bit, but what is the impact that inclusion has had on your job and what are some of the challenges? Personally, it certainly opens my mind and gets me to see things differently and look at the casting differently. Look at like the blank canvas that we have, whether it be a film or commercial, anything. And then the challenges are, of course, trying to get others to commit and agree to that. That's been, that's been I think, the biggest challenge. I, I find it a little harder in the advertising world than let's say film like and especially an independent film and television there's more of that and advertising has come a long way but it's still always about the product you know it's this the star of the commercial is always going to be the product whether it be a car or a hamburger it's just like we had said earlier letting people know that you know someone in a wheelchair or who has down syndrome eats a hamburger too or they they're going to drive cars. So, and it's come, it really has come a long way. We um, actually, the project we worked on with you guys and Liam, uh, there was a role for the little girl in that um, with cerebral palsy. And that little girl um, was so adorable and endearing. We brought her in for a commercial and she got very close to booking it. Um, she was a, uh, she was called back by, by the director and by the client um, because of her personality and how adorable she was and her interpretation of what she was supposed to do. And it had nothing to do with her, her disability. So um, that was a big breakthrough for us, you know, to just even chance bring somebody in, which we still try to do. We'll, start, we'll try to, um, that's where we can help, you know, and have conversations too. Maybe have conversations before the job even begins when we get the specs. Again, it's so much easier in film and television than, than it is in commercials and advertising. But I mean, you've seen so many of the ads, I'm sure there's several ads that have young people with disabilities, older people with disabilities, um, you know, and it crosses over even to diversity where we're seeing transgender people. And like you said, mixed couples and same-sex couples. And so I think, I think as everything is happening in the world and in society, you know, people in our business are going to become affected and jump on that. They have to, I think. Well, as much as you want to see things happen right away, there are steps. Like that was actually answered a question I had in my mind was when you see an inclusion on TV, where does that come from? Is it the uh, producer of the show? Is it the uh, client that has, that's trying to sell their, their soda? 
Or can it also sometimes be where that wasn't an intention, but the casting director brings in a wider range of people to come in for the audition? And that's obviously can happen. And once that's happening, you can see how that opens up a conversation all through the thread of this beast of an industry from conception to product. It's from all of those, I think, that you just said, every, every one of them, whether it be the creator, the writer, the producer, the casting director, just opening it up. And um, and then it's a collaboral, you know, collaboration, you know, at the callback phase even. So, but wherever it originates from, it it's wonderful that it's it's original. It's there. Michael, you have such a passion for inclusion. How does it feel when you still get resistance? It's tough, but it's also understandable. I think there's a lot of fear and a lot of work that has to be done, not for the actual people, you know, let's say not for the act- actors with disabilities or, you know, uh, different diversities or ethnicities, but the industry, people in positions of power in the industry but you know i always try to look at the good i mean i really do i I don't i mean i don't i don't want to sound like you know that but it's true i i really uh have changed my life where um there's something can always be better but we have to focus on what we are changing right now and just continue to make strides it's really come a long way since i opened in 2000 you know, and look at like, um, was it 2019, the peanut butter falcon, first time an actor was on stage that had a disability, like, a, um, yeah, so that was pretty powerful with Zach. So, and then, you know, there's also the Media Access Awards, which are um, the awards given to performers with disabilities every year, which, so it's wonderful that, you know, there's that grouping that, you know, getting uh, recognized, but eventually, I think we need more of it to just cross over into like Academy Awards and Grammys and Emmys. Right. right. We're being seen. And I believe in the good that's happening. Yeah. And I think even with those awards, like with the Media Access Awards, it's wonderful for the performers, though, to come together, too, and just feel like they're being celebrated. And it's also people in our industry, casting directors and producers and agents and directors and that and writers that show up in so they're they're being exposed to new talent. So that's been that's been really a good, a good thing. Yeah, it opens the eyes of so many. I think you're parts. right. I think it's just you know I think it's just slow steps. But at least we're making steps because I always talk about as far as Down syndrome. It is not long ago that, and it's really actually it still happens today that a child's born with Down syndrome, and the mother is offered to be relieved of their child. And that used to be the norm. Let's just put them in an institution. That's a hard fact. But I I read on a friend's website that the cure for then is now. So we remember then and change it in the now. And, and, And I know sometimes those steps may go what we feel like is too slow because it's taken so long. I guess I get so conflicted because I think of, you know, when you said, and all these actors with disabilities are great because they get to hang out together. And I think the one frustration is that's still a segregated, non-inclusive environment. And so my heart really gets torn, even though I can celebrate that, yeah, that's, those are the first steps. There's still that, that segregation of not being invited to the, to the big party, do you know? We're gonna sit at the, we're gonna sit at the little kids' table because we don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. Because and I have to be honest to say that a lot of it is discomfort. 
we, we protect Liam because of that, not because to make other people comfortable, but because that discomfort can cause something that's not fair to our son or to, to us to have to, to have to experience. But it is, it is a small step. And you have to think that there's that word courage again, that it shouldn't have to take courage, but someone had to have courage to say, we're going to listen to everybody's voice. Yeah, I also have to, have to look at it as a, a way to pull people into the bigger platforms, though. If, do you know what I mean? Yeah. If for no other reason, maybe someone who isn't on the committee that I'm on, or, you know, I'm, I'm talking about a peer, um, it might change their mind, you know, someone with power mm-hmm. to, um, you know, that's doing like a big budget feature or something that, oh, wow, let's, for example, like any of the actors that you were talking about earlier or RJ Mitty on break, you know, any, just to get to come into like the bigger pool. So that's how we look at that too. Um, you know, we're trying to do that even with the committee, like we're, we're doing, and it's not a competition thing, but we went through and watched all the footage that we've done over the last, and there were over, I believe over 800 self tapes. And we brought that down to 20 to showcase the networks and to, the agents and the producers and the writers and directors like um please here's who we're presenting right now there'll be others just to consider them for your projects it has to come together though it really does it all has to somehow come come together otherwise it, it, there is still segregation yeah and i hesitate to say that but since we're having Being like honest. an honest conversation no, yeah. i just want to you know i want to i want to talk about like from from a parent because the way that personally affects my child is to be seen in society and to be seen as an equal and to be seen with the same right to be there as anyone else. So, I mean, it feels even harsh saying it, but it is part of the dichotomy of the situation. There's the want for it to, to just happen because when you're there persuading producers to have inclusion, although it looks different and may feel, I would say, even funny, it might not feel right to them because that's not what they've done. The importance of them to make that choice goes so much further than what the ratings are or any accolade they may receive. I don't, I don't even know if that kind of crosses their mind how dynamic the impact is on on my son personally like i i have gratitude because it is a a trickle down that goes all the i can't talk about the project that we I, we met you on but i can sit in my iep and say this is what we encounter in the real world this is the situation these are the conversations that i've had with real adults in the real world of my son's ability this is what he showed us he can do. And it makes change because when it comes down to it, it goes beyond what some people might think is just entertainment. And it goes beyond actually changing the fabric of this world and the society. Um, I read an article, reread an article recently that uh, was from a couple of years ago. And I, I, Gail was quoted in it, Gail Williamson, a talent agent. And she remembers the, I can't remember the actor who got known from the TV show he did. Um, a couple of years ago, but going to a restaurant was a whole new experience for him because where people would order for him, like, or the waiter or the waitress would look to the parent, they recognized him 
So, and just started treating him as a person, not a person with a disability. Like let, he can make his own decisions. Let's just, you know, there was the recognizable factor. He was empowered that while people are paying attention to me now, I matter and I belong, you know, um, and it, it doesn't matter what the work is, you know, like he, he just happened, he happened to be an actor on a TV show, but uh, it, it should be the same, you know, for any profession that people should feel like they matter. Mm-hmm. And they belong. And I, I think that's such, I, I just enjoy, I was just enjoying that story so much because it, it makes absolute sense to me, you know, just that, and it is just that shift of someone. So that's what we're talking about today. We, everybody can see their story. And when we see our story, we become real and we have a voice because we're talking about a lot of people who don't feel like they have a voice or their voice is taken away, right? They, they have to hide their feelings. I don't know how it happened, but when the Gerber baby was a baby with Down syndrome, I don't know if that would trickle down to here's our options or that was a, a set Cutest baby ever, I bet. But <laughs> what it did for for parents with children with Down syndrome, what it did with probably for parents that then find out a diagnosis prior to birth, um, what it did to just typical people and how they view Down syndrome in general, it made a huge impact. And I don't know if it impacted Gerber financially, but it, it, even if it was something that could have been their idea of how do we get more people to eat our, our Gerber product, but however it happened, it just affects uh, exponentially. Just that alone, not even the, the money aspect, but like you said, exponentially, just to that effect on Gerber and the perception of Gerber being inclusive. Yeah. That's a, that's a pretty big company to decide that they're going to be inclusive. What right? a leader. Yeah, a definite mm-hmm. leader. And when you talk about it changes perception, because part of the challenge isn't necessarily the minds that are open or the minds that have experience or that are on the border. It's really, even if we can just crack a little bit into those minds that are so closed on every level of inclusion, they're holding on to thoughts that used to be there and beliefs that used to be there. And if we can start to kind of crack the little light into those minds whatever your feelings are, just to, to acknowledge that the world is so much bigger and the painting looks so different and, and it's so diverse. I think I was muted when I said they probably looked and it was like the cutest baby ever because, <laughs> you know. Yeah, that baby was really cute. <laughs> and, and we do, you know, not all kidding aside, we, we experience a lot of parents with new diagnoses, sometimes right at birth or sometimes before their child is born. And we had a great interview with Natalie Lopez, who received her diagnosis and just was, she was very open with her conversation about the amount of negative feedback that came pummeling at her. And she's a professional that works with kids with Down syndrome and has for years. And even her reaction, which completely understandable of, of shock and, and, and confusion, how she also needed a support system at that point too, when she found a diagnosis and it shows that that uncertainty brings on fear and that fear of the unknown, like we talk about so much is what drives negative perceptions. But inclusion can take away the element of unknown, right? Which eliminates that fear Mm -hmm. that's there of something new and different that isn't necessarily new and different. It's just like seeing it and 
everybody being a part of this is is what's new and different. Uh, and just not even thinking twice about it. Um, it. It's like that experience of watching the play at first where you recognize the differences. And then by the end of it, you know, there are people on stage, the characters and they're acting and it doesn't matter what, um, if they have a disability or what the color of their skin is. No, and it shouldn't, and, and, and hopefully that as a society, we'll, we'll, we get there. Well, we see what the future should be, and I think we know we're moving there because that's the future, but we just want to, uh, we want to make it happen now, you know, and as a community, uh, as a disability community and not of a disability, and the people outside the disability community, when I say community, everyone join together to be inclusive and embrace diversity. Um, okay, so one of my questions was, and I, and I know we, a lot of these we've, we've touched on in our conversation, but how do you advocate for people with disabilities? Just really changing the landscape, really just being open to it. Me personally, my company being open to it, like um, Stephen had said earlier, whether it be even when clients aren't maybe, um, just being able to bring someone in when the role doesn't specify that just because they're um, talented or their, their footage is wonderful. or And then just really through, you know, the committee I'm on and the constant work we're doing, you know, and it goes beyond just performers. It's really trying to reach out to uh, agents and networks and, you know, and also I, I'm not sure if it was CBS or um, that might've been the diversity measure where they came out with something that a certain percentage of people you know, they want, they want it there to be d- diversity, like a certain percentage of the cast. Um, and it's really trying to do the same thing for um, performers with disabilities. And, um, and, and then the writers, like the WGA, writing roles for people where it is, it's written for someone with a disability, but it's, it's written as a doctor. Or it's, you know, the role is um, just what anyone else would normally cast. Or... If, it's, if they say they're open and, and there's a way we could include someone who fits, it might completely change the, with the way they view the audition tapes that we send them, you know? So it's just really, I think the biggest thing for me is just getting it in my mind, which I did, you know, um, back when I first started doing this. So to try to ingrain and pass, it's ingrained in me now just to pass that on to others and like what Lori was saying about even the negative people, or I don't wanna say negative, but maybe people have more of a closed mind or they don't see it yet. Just like even a little indication of something, you know, like, oh, it could be a different way, you know, and honestly, it's the right way. So it's the way it should be. That's the most important thing. And that's what, you know, and I think that's why there's so many differences with, you know, political differences. I don't think a lot of it's policy. I think it's people's perceptions of, of basically people, people's, you know, and who's the better person or, you know, and it shouldn't, shouldn't be like that. I always say this and it's, um, we're here for a short amount of time and someday we're all going to be going out. <laughs> so it's not really about what kind of car you drive or the house you live in or what we make it's about it's about the human connection i had a very early experience i had a cousin 
I, I'm, I'm half Italian, so I have like half of my family. There's like a thousand relatives. <laughs> this was my mom's first cousin's kids, which I don't, I don't know if that makes a second or third cousins, but they had eight kids and the youngest of the eight uh, had cerebral palsy when we were, when I was really young growing up. So it was my first experience to someone who was different. And then my, one of my aunts through marriage, her sister had a little boy with cerebral palsy. And to me, I just didn't understand terminology back then or like the words or the you know what the labels i should say which is probably a good thing labels are not you know shouldn't be understood but the feeling and the and the connection i have with both of these kids i I mean so that to me is really what it's about and and i really have to say both sets of parents did such amazing jobs you know we're talking about 50 years ago you know, with just raising them to feel special. And uh, Valerie, who had seven brothers and sisters, just the love and support they all had for her. And I just remember being a little kid and feeling and seeing this, that we used to look forward to going over and playing with her, or we would go over and look forward to seeing Mario. So I think it's just about, uh, it's more the humanity than, uh, than anything else. Well, that shows you the importance of the diversity committee, the inclusion writers that provides a safe space for you then as a casting director to bring in someone that maybe isn't in the mind of the producer, let's say, um, that may not be the stereotypical idea of what this role is. You can bring, it gives you a safe space to bring in other people because what backlash could there be? That's the hope, right? It was like the Audi commercial that I referenced before with the little girl that we had met on a film that we were casting, and she was just so adorable. And the, and their role was just the little girl sitting in the back seat, looking at cars passing by through binoculars and making really expressive faces. And she was so wonderful in her her, her audition for the film. My partner Julian and I thought, let's bring her in, and they loved her. So that's that you know, and they didn't. They just said a girl that was. Uh, I think she was 10 to 12. So they didn't put any parameters on us as far as like the ethnicity or the, you know, that they have to be able-bodied or anything like that. Oh, that's great. So that was really, um, and that felt really good. It felt like, because she was really good, like on her own. Like she was like in the top three. They went with a boy, which is why she didn't get it. (laughs) But But you opened their eyes to uh, their future projects as well. Absolutely. So that's what we could do. I like what you said about it's about humanity. So it's even more about advocating for inclusion and diversity is really about advocating for humanity. Absolutely, because it's beyond the entertainment world. I mean, it's like you were saying in schools and in camps and in sports that these kids go out for and um, arts and crafts, whatever someone wants to do, you know, and then adults too. It's just uh, acceptance, acceptance of differences. And one, just because someone's different doesn't mean that they're flawed or something is wrong with them or they're defective. Because mm-hmm. I think that was the perception for so long. You would, you guys could probably know better than me. I was very lucky. I was raised in a very, um, uh, this was in New York and Queens where, you know, my neighborhood was all different, you know, black, Italian, Jewish, white, you know, Asian, Puerto Rican. Um, so people with disabilities, you know, effeminate people, just everything. So I didn't, I was very fortunate where I didn't, you know, experience 
segregation or racism as far as my immediate family or in my soul. So, but that's not always the case. It's the exposure. You, you were exposed to a wide range of people. And so that's the idea of inclusion in media is we're exposing the audience to a wide range of people. And then it's just Look what it does, look what it did for you. Yeah. Right. And, and then also when you hear about, like, for example, the, well, several people got work from any of the weekends we did. But I remember the transgender weekend, people came from all over the country. And I think uh, there were two actors that got cast in, on TV shows from that open call. So that, that feels really good too, because it's also for that community changing perceptions. And, and I do think people are, are becoming more open-minded that weren't before. I really do. I have this is where maybe I'm being the optimist and giving the industry folks but I see it, I experience it, I hear it being in these rooms with people, you know, and being, uh, talking to directors and producers now. So that's huge. It wasn't like that when I started casting 20 years ago. The conversations weren't even had. That's why it wasn't like that. And you're, you're bringing people into a room together who would never have been in a room together. And having that, like I said, exposure, when you have someone that's that fantastic. says, I don't, I don't know about this type of person it'll say transgender. I don't, I don't know. I don't have, you know, and that's just how it is. Now you're in a room together and we talk and we're humans and I see you perform and I see your art and I see what, not that you're a detriment, you're actually increasing the value of my project or I see what your true value is. And it's a lot and forever changed that person is. Absolutely. For the person and then also for the community of who maybe that person represents. So so someone else has someone to admire and look up to. And I think that's what was happening with the little boy with cerebral palsy that was on the show that Gail was referencing, that all of a sudden other people recognize him as a person, you know, not as the boy with the disability. Michael, it's been so wonderful having you on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you both. Please follow us on Twitter at If We Knew Then Pod, and you can drop us a line on our Facebook page at If We Knew Then Pod, or visit our website, ifweknewthen.com, to send us an email with questions and comments. And you can join our mailing list there and get alerts of future podcast episodes. All these links will be added to this episode's show notes. Thank you again, and we look forward to you joining us on the next episode of If We Knew Then. Come on,